Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. We are, of course, a program that presents the gifts of the churches, east and west, both lungs of the church, primarily, of course, the eastern lung of the church. And when we say eastern lung of the church, sometimes people don't always understand that because the western lung, which is primarily identified as the Latin Rite Church, sometimes called the Roman Catholic Church, is by far, in most parts of the world, by far the largest form of Catholicism. And so many people associate Catholic just with the what we would call the Latin Rite. They often refer to it as, as I said, Roman Catholic, but technically it's the Latin Rite. Roman Catholic would mean that it's centered in Rome, but the Rite, the way that it is expressed and lived, goes according to a particular Rite named Latin Rite. Now, in the East, there are a number of rites. In the West, there used to be a few, several, like about maybe five. There was never a lot of rites in the West. There was always a few, the main one being the Latin rite. For instance, there was the Ambrosian rite as well as the Latin rite. In the East, there were a number of rites. And sometimes people don't understand that there's a difference in how to live the one same Catholic faith. To define what a rite is, and a rite is not a religious order. Sometimes people ask me, Oh, Father, what order do you belong to? And usually they ask me this when I'm giving a talk publicly. And I've always wondered, why do they ask me that? Because I explain what I am at the beginning of my talk. I explain the whole history in two minutes <laughs> of how we have two lungs of the church, east and west, and the various rites. And still at the end of my talk, when they ask questions, they'll invariably ask me, well, well what right are you or in your order, in your religious order? And I don't always understand why they ask that, except for two things. There's a confusion about what a right is. And so people associate any differences in the church as religious orders, because they know that there's like Dominicans and Jesuits and Benedictines. They can comprehend that. And those religious orders, for the most part, and historically, wore what we might call monastic habits. In other words, full-length garments, sometimes with a hood, usually tied at the waist. 
And I, as an Eastern priest, wear what's called a riasun, which looks something like a monastic habit. And maybe that's why they ask me what religious order I belong to or assume that I'm part of an order. I think it's a cross between that and just being confused about rights, that there can be different rights in the church. In his book, written back in the 1960s, the late and great Father Robert Taft, a great Byzantine theologian, a Jesuit, one of the foremost experts in liturgy in recent history, he writes in his book, it's a handy little book, it's like almost like a pamphlet, but it's very, very handy. It's called Eastern Rite Catholicism, Its Heritage and Vocation, Robert Taft. A rite is simply Catholicism as it has developed according to the culture and spirit of a particular people. The word rite, bearing as it does the connotation of ritual or ceremony, is perhaps a poor choice to denote an extremely complex and rich reality. For rite is not just liturgy, but rather a complete Catholic tradition, the unique way that a particular community of the faithful perceives, expresses, and lives its Catholic life within the one mystical body of Christ. And these are the words of Father Robert Taft. And notice what he says here that a rite is a unique way that a particular community of the faithful perceives, expresses, and lives its Catholic life. You notice he didn't say believe. The belief is not different. The basic belief is not different in the, in the different rites of the Catholic Church, East and West. The difference is in the perception, the emphasis, the expression, and how it's lived, the traditions, and so on especially when it comes to what we might call the domestic church. These are where the differences come in. But they're not opposing differences. They're not differences that are somehow right or wrong from between Latin and Byzantine, or one is uh, not correct. It's just different. So the right is an expression. Think of it as an expression, a style, a way of experiencing and living that one same Catholic faith. Father Taft continues, the various rites of the church are best known to us through their liturgies. Although, as he said, it's not just about the liturgy. It's not just about the difference in liturgy. Although the liturgy is the best way to know the rites. This is understandable, Father Taft says, for liturgy is the most perfect and official expression of the soul that animates each tradition. It is by no means the only expression, however. Rite also includes all the other elements we could expect to find in a Catholic culture, schools of theology with their fathers and doctors, canonical discipline, schools of spirituality, devotions, monasticism, art, architecture, hymns, music. And also, this must be stressed, the peculiar spirit that created this tradition that in turn is fed by this tradition and that is essential to this tradition. Now, that, that's very important. That's an interesting statement. Because he says, above all, it's the peculiar spirit. In other words, it's like the Eastern rites and the Western rites have a particular soul about them or charism, just as each individual has their own unique soul. And they function from that soul, from their particular tradition, their peculiar spirit, as he says. So there is like a spirit of the Latin rite. Latin rite Catholics think a certain way. They approach things a certain way according to the spirit of the West, which has a lot of emphasis and genius on justice, on order, on law, on articulation of the faith in a very concise, rational, ordered way of evangelization, preaching. So the Western church has its own charism or genius, and Latin rite Catholics will think and experience their spirituality according to that peculiar or particular spirit. And same thing with the East. 
Oh, we have different charisms. Father Taft says, There is, of course, no question of one Catholic right denying what another affirms. All rights are one in union of Christ's church under the headship of the Bishop of Rome. All have the same sacraments, the same dogmas, the same moral code. The differences are a matter of emphasis. Now, that's something you've heard me say for years. If you've listened to this program, that's always my explanation, too. So I'm glad that Father Taft has quoted me. (laughs) Just kidding. The differences are a matter of emphasis. That, to me, is the easiest way to express or explain the different rites of the church East and West. Each tradition stresses diverse aspects of the one holy Catholic and apostolic tradition common to all. I also like to use the analogy of diamonds. It's many facets of the same diamond. So the beauty of the church, the, some of the, it's just some of the richness of the church, that we have these diverse expressions that go according to a fundamental spirit or charism, like the soul of a people, the soul of a culture, the soul of faith that all comes together, sort of converges together. How do you get these different rites and their particular expressions? Well, I think it's a convergence of culture and the experience of life, the experience of God, and how that experience is expressed. And you put all that together and you you get the right. You get this sort of mystery that I call, and Father Taft calls, the particular or peculiar spirit of a right. So I would expect a Latin rite Catholic to react, think, live things a little bit differently than me and vice versa. It's all part of the same diamond. And Father Taft says that in his encyclical Orientalis Ecclesia, St. Pope Pius XII indicates clearly that our Oriental traditions include much more than liturgy. An Oriental rite, therefore, is not just a different way of saying Mass. It is a special patrimony with its own feast and fast, saints and shrines. Now, sometimes we have the same saints, too, in our calendar, but most of the time they're different. There are different days that even that we celebrate the same saint between East and West. But a saint is a saint, whether East or West. It is devotion to the Mother of God without rosaries, devotion to saints without novenas, devotion to the Eucharist without exposition or benediction, the observance of Lent without stations of the cross. And what is more important is another genius and temperament, an oriental ethos from which these ritual and devotional differences flow. Sometimes Latin Rite Catholics will ask me, well, do you have rosary? Do you have exposition or benediction? Do you have Eucharistic adoration? And my answer is, we have things that are sometimes similar, but we don't have those things specifically, just as the Latin Rite would not have some of our traditions in the East. Like you don't have a paracus service to the Mother of God, an office of consolation, or an acathist. There's a number of things that we have that the Latin Rite doesn't have, and vice versa. And again, that's part of the beauty. That's a genius. Neither is a deficit. And we can appreciate each other's riches as well. For example, the rosary did not develop in Eastern cultures, in Eastern churches. I mean, it did develop there. Doesn't mean it's not meant for everyone, but it didn't develop there. However, Eastern Catholics, many of them have a great devotion to the rosary. The rosary is a personal devotion in the Eastern churches. They see it as a personal devotion. And many, many Eastern Catholics are very devoted to the rosary, although it was not indigenous to the Eastern churches. We have other things that we call 
in a sense, a rosary. In other words, our form of rosary that developed in our traditions, such as I mentioned, the Akathist service. There is actually a rosary developed by an Eastern monastic named Seraphim of Serov. And it's very similar to the Latin Rite rosary. But when we come back, we're gonna look at one particular aspect that is different in its nuance between East and West. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. We're talking about, well, trying to make it a little bit simple, revisiting a basic question here, should be basic to our program. That is, what really is the difference in rights? Why do we call our program presenting the Eastern rights of the church? So with the help of the late and great Father Robert Taft, we defined, hopefully simply enough, what we mean by rights. Now I want to look at something that is an indication, or example of how we are different. And again, the key word is going to be emphasis, how we see something. Let me give you an example. If when you go to church, and if you enter the church, usually there's a couple entrances into a church. Not always, but basically there is. And you enter through one door. Someone else enters through another door. When you enter through your door, you're going to get a perspective of the church, you know, a visual perspective based on your orientation from the way you approached the church. The other person who came in maybe a side door or another entrance will get a different perspective of the same church, and you're going to arrive at the same spot. You're going to arrive in the church at the same service, mass, or whatever, and you're going to partake of the same Eucharist. But your initial vision, your initial and immediate experience of the church visually was different. 
based on how you approached it. In fact, that's why a lot of people, oftentimes, I sometimes wonder, though, as a pastor, why people always sit in the same pew or stand in the same spot. We don't have assigned seats in our churches, at least I don't think we do. Don't you want a different perspective? But I guess it's because where they sit or stand at services gives them perspective that they like. And it'll be different for each person because they all sit somewhere where they like and they keep sitting there every week. It's amazing how consistent that is. Sometimes if someone else is sitting there, they might even say, oh, you're in my spot. (laughs) But it's really not your spot. It's not assigned seats. Anyway, it gives you a little example of what I'm talking about here. The approach that is different, but yet the same. Father Robert Taft says that the devotional attitudes of Eastern and Westerners are in harmony with their views of the church. Now, the difference I want to point out here, the example I want to talk about, is how we look at grace. You know, grace is kind of a mystery. Talk about God's grace or being in a state of grace, having grace, having grace, God's grace is shine upon us. What, What exactly do we mean? There is actually a little difference in perspective between East and West on that. And, it, and it's significant in its application to the lived experience, not significant so much theologically as it is in the lived experience. Father Taft says the Westerner tends to emphasize the moral aspects of the sacramental and spiritual life, the strength received to aid him in his pilgrimage toward his final beatitude. And that's fine. That, that's part of the Western soul. Grace is seen as a principle of meritorious action, restoring to man the capacity for salutary works. So grace is something that, in a sense, gets added or given to someone, which helps them to grow into the image and likeness of Christ. The Oriental, in other words, the Eastern rites, however, see man more as an imperfect similitude of God, which grace perfects. In other words, the starting point for the East is very strongly set in the idea that we are made good. We were made glorious, image and likeness of God. That's the truth about us. The sin, the weakness, is not the truth of us. For example, whenever you make a mistake, people will often say, oh, well, you know, what do you expect? I'm only human. Or don't, don't beat up on yourself. You're only human. Don't feel so bad about your mistake. That's okay, but you know what? It's actually not quite accurate. It's actually more accurate to say whenever someone does something wonderful or good to say, well, what do you expect? You're human. See, that's the truth because the human person was made good. That's the truth about us. Our failings have become part of our reality, but they are not the truth of us. Do you see the difference? Our failings, our sin are part of our reality, but they are not the truth of us as humans. It's like a ship, you know, with barnacles on it. The barnacles are on the ship, but it doesn't mean they are actually the truth about the ship. A ship is not a vessel with barnacles. It's a vessel and barnacles become part of its reality because it's going through the ocean and it picks up barnacles, but it's not the truth of the ship. So, For the Easterner, his life in Christ is a progressive transfiguration into the likeness of God. Less is said of merit, satisfaction, beatitude, than of divinization, transfiguration, the transformation of man into the image of God. So you see the difference emphasis. In the West, there's an emphasis on merit, satisfaction, beatitude. 
In the East, it's divinization, transfiguration, or I would say even participation in. That's something very important in Eastern theology. Participation in the life of the Trinity. Participation in or immersion in the life of the church. And that's an ongoing transformation, a transfiguration. That's why we love the Feast of the Transfiguration. In fact, it has a very long post-festive, which we celebrated just a few days ago, actually, finally came out of it. Huge event for the Eastern theology, Christ being transfigured on Mount Tabor, gloriously transfigured, because that's the truth of the human person and the truth of our destiny, of our origin and destiny. It was also the truth of Jesus Christ and his divinity. Now, in his book, Orthodox Christianity, Marriage and Contraception, author Anthony Stalin explains the difference in the idea of grace between East and West with some of the language of some of the Eastern spiritual masters, which came up with this idea of God's essence and energies. Energies is what the West might call grace. And so Anthony Stalin, the author, says, It is the divine energies that are poured forth into the human heart by the Holy Spirit, bringing about the deification of man and through him the cosmos. We will see that all of the imagery in Scripture, including the incarnation and the Eucharist, body and blood of Christ, all find their fulfillment in this penetration of the created world by the divine energies. Now, think of it as the sun, the sun that all the burning gases that we can't even look at, we can't even come anywhere near to, that is what we might call the essence, or in Greek, the word ousia, the ousia, the, the essence of God. But as we know, especially now during the summertime, the sun sends out from its essence rays, in other words, parts of itself, which are not the essence, but they're sort of extensions of the essence. They become something different, yet still part of the sun. In other words, the sun's rays are not the same thing as the center of the sun, the ball of gases. Its rays are light and warmth, and those rays touch us and the earth, and they transform whatever is on earth, whatever it's striking, wherever those rays are striking. Well, those are like the uncreated energies of the sun, like the energies coming forth. Same thing with God in Eastern thinking. God's grace is like his energies. Now, the author says, Any theological perspective that refuses to recognize this ineffable distinction between the divine essence and uncreated energies renders authentic union with God and the resulting deification of the creature impossible. In other words, the East says, well, if, and they believe and emphasize that if we are to become partakers of the divine nature, as it says in the second letter of Peter in the scripture, if we're to basically graft ourselves on and become like unto God, there has to be a way to do that. We can't do it with his essence. Just like we can't, we can't avail ourselves of the sun. And when the sun's rays hit us, we actually, in a sense, become part of the sun. Just like a raisin is captured sunlight, right? It was a grape. They all shrivelly as it captured sunlight. So there has to be a way for us to unite ourselves with God without uniting with his essence. And the Eastern Fathers describe this as the energies. The author says... A person becomes like God in the sense of reflecting his perfections as in a mirror, but there is no authentic theosis, no becoming God by grace, if you don't accept this idea of unaccredited energies. The author is saying that in order for us to really understand or believe it's possible to become partakers of the divine nature, it's like we become partakers of the sun by virtue of its rays, 
not its essence. If that is possible, if we believe that, we must believe that, then there has to be this way of expressing it that the East calls energies. The West might call it grace. The West tended to see God's essence as simplicity. In other words, that God is pure essence. The East would say, well, he's pure essence, but he also has these uncreated energies like the rays of the sun that come out from him that enable us to unite with him, that animate us and metamorphosize us, transfigure us. Either way, the goal, the place we arrive at, east and west, just like that analogy of coming into the church from one door or the other, we arrive at the same place, and that is that union with God, that beholding God, being in the presence of God, not partaking of his essence, because we can't take that, we can't do that, but certainly partaking of his presence, his nature. And the east, that is done through the uncreated energies. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab. And on iTunes, thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Listeners to Catholic Radio, I think, benefit most, at least initially, from what I call remedial catechesis. What Catholic Radio does is it uh, becomes an echo chamber for the teaching authority of the Catholic Church. And what we're doing is teaching many things which uh, have been neglected over the last 40, 50 years. If you listen to Catholic Radio, you know what the Catholic Church teaches. Al Cresta thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Willcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!